Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kovorek, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space so that you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. Today, we are back with episode 93, and it is our second episode of our summer debunking series. Last week, we had Lauren Twig, who is an RD, on to cover Game Changers and really break down some of the holes and inefficiencies in that documentary. And today, we are completely flipping things up, and instead of debunking, what we are doing is highlighting. Our mission today at Discover Ag is obviously always to bring you guys the facts and nuanced conversation to the table so that people can make the best informed decisions for themselves rooted in facts and science, which is why we are happy to welcome Vinny Torchrich, which is the producer of Beyond Impossible. And we want to welcome you today, Vinny, to Discover Ag. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I want this show to be over with right now because I want to go back and listen to Miss Twig or Mrs. Twig. <laughs> because <sighs> when that movie came out, out of all of the vegan propaganda movies that's been out there... I was on more shows debunking that big lie. As a matter of fact, if you guys want to go into any more of that this week, I'm more than happy to debunk any and all vegan propaganda films. Yeah, that one had a lot to break down and unpack from it. And the reason we brought on Lauren is because she is a registered dietitian. And that was one of the things we thought was hugely missing from that film was really the nutrition aspect. I mean, they dove into it from that aspect and they left out a key professional that would have a very interesting, you know, um, opinion about some of their things. So yeah, go listen to that episode. And for everyone else who hasn't listened to last Tuesday's episode where we debunk Game Changers, uh, you know, after you're done listening to Vinny, because Vinny has a lot to share about his film and it's equally as important and powerful too. So after you listen to this one, go back and listen to Lauren's. Before we dive into the episode though, I want to let everyone know how we found you, Vinny, which I was actually listening to a micro podcast and you were a guest interview on there. And a lot of the conversation, I mean, you guys talked about a plethora of different things, but it was kind of rooted in your connection and belief in the keto diet. And so maybe you want to you know, share a little bit about that as well as yourself and kind of, I guess, maybe your origin story for Beyond Impossible. Yeah, I've been in the diet and exercise space. That's what the kids say nowadays for uh, well over <laughs> 40 years. I, I have a degree in exercise physiology and nutrition from Tulane University, which is no slouch when it comes to medical schools. I also have a degree in secondary education. In other words, I have a lot of degrees. And I started working in weight loss in the early 80s. And I saw trouble coming down the pike because what I had learned in school was not what I was seeing out in the wild, if you, if you can imagine. So just to give you an example, my grandmother, who never finished high school, they were poor peasant Italian people, somehow knew that bread will make you fat. She's Italian. She knew that pasta will make you fat. You would think, oh, peasant Italians, all they're doing is eating pasta around the clock. How is it that my grandmother and my great-grandmother, who barely spoke English from the old country, how did these women know? So all of a sudden in the early 80s, we have a food pyramid that comes out that says, hey, the entire bottom of the grid, 
the, the whole thing, all grains. When you go to the second level, we still have nothing but carbohydrates. We have potatoes. We have you know, nothing but carbs up there. And at the very top, if you have room for it, there's meat. Oh, and by the way, off to the side, it wasn't even in a pyramid, dairy. And from what I can tell, one of you is actually in the meat business and the other is in the dairy business. They were shoving you out before you were born. That's a problem. Definitely. It is. And it's interesting that you noticed this, what you worded as almost contrast between what people knew and you were seeing back in the 80s. And I feel like that is still what we are facing today now as a society is kind of this, you know, difference between what we know, but what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, the term cognitive dissonance has never meant more than when it comes to, you know, food and nutrition and everything else. I played football through college, D1 football, and I never had a weight problem when I was playing football. As soon as I wasn't on a team, but I was still in school trying to finish college, there was no red meat for me anymore. There was no fish. There was no turkey or, or eggs or anything. I was a poor college student. I couldn't afford them. So I did what the rest of the kids had been doing for four years. The ones that put on the freshman 15. I started doing things like eating ramen noodles and straight vermicelli pasta with, if I can afford it, some sprinkled cheese on top and, and olive oil. That was my meals, right? I think eggs were the only thing I was affording myself at that time. And it didn't take five minutes to notice. As a matter of fact, I didn't notice. I wrote about this in my book, uh, Fitness Confidential, 11 years ago. I was sitting in Camellia Grill Restaurant in Uptown New Orleans. And I, I mentioned to my girlfriend at the time, I said, you know, I think the, 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 um, the, the dryer is starting to shrink up my 501s. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, <laughs> I can't button them anymore. And she kind of smirked into her milkshake. And she goes, oh, sweetie, you're getting fat. So I literally did what anyone would do in that situation. I'm at the counter and I, I'm, I flexed my arm. I said, look at, look at this gun. What do you mean I'm getting fat? She goes, no, your, your arms, your chest, you're, you're still working out. You look great, but you're putting on a gut. Mind you, I never drank alcohol, ever. I drink it now, but back then in college, I, I didn't touch beer or anything. I was getting fat off of ramen noodles, vermicelli pasta, and potatoes because it was all I can afford at the end. So you mentioned in there that you wrote a book. You have three films, and one of those is Beyond Impossible. So how did you kind of get started in that transition then? Like you've realized that you, you know, you wanted to be more fit. You wanted to lose weight. What then led to these books and ultimately these movies and, you know, even more movies to come into the future? Well, you know, I was still in college. Tulane had hired me to teach a PE class in weightlifting because I was pretty much a weightlifting technician and I was getting a degree in exercise physiology. So I knew something about movement of the body. So I was the assistant strength coach there. From there, you know, I went to Newman School. I just got into it and I started training all these women in uptown New Orleans and noticing that all they were interested in was keeping their stick figures because women were still lean back in 1982 and 83 and 84. And it was easy for me to make money because 
I would just go in and go, listen, we're going to exercise here and that's going to help. That's the fountain of youth. But exercise is not going to take the weight off of you. You need to start eating real protein, real fat. We need to cut the carbs out. I wasn't even following what I learned at Tulane. I was following my great grandmother. So maybe let's focus on that a little bit, because you've mentioned that twice now, you know, kind of the disparity between uh, filling your body with carbs versus, you know, the top of the food pyramid, what, you know, really wasn't recommended. And you had one of your guest experts on the show, which was Nina Teicholtz. Mm -hmm. I am a very big fan. She also has a book I have read, and she does a lot of work in kind of bringing awareness to the food pyramid, Ansel Keys, and kind of that whole disparity. So maybe we want to dive into that a little bit more at like a, a deeper layer than we have so far. Yeah, you know, Nina, Nina's become a close friend. When people ask me about books they should read to be convinced, I have a bestseller. I never recommend it. I always recommend Big Fat Surprise first. And then people go, well, should I read your book after that? I'll say, no, no, no. Read Gary Taubes' Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. And then if you want some fodder, go read mine. Um, we've <laughs> all done well in that space writing best-selling books. Um, Nina does something that no one else does. She researched for 10 years to show the studies that made saturated fats a demon. Those same studies show that it wasn't a problem whatsoever. It actually brings me to another point that I want to bring up is, you know, we talked about game changers last week. And one of the big glaring things was the lack of experts. And I think one thing that you did so well and beyond impossible was bringing on a really great lineup of experts. I felt like the MD was one of the first doctors to simply advocate for like a whole foods diet. And, you know, that's one thing Natalie and I are like, yes, like, you know, whole foods just what is more simple than a steak or a glass of milk, like just single ingredient foods? And so did you always like know exactly kind of who you wanted to have in your lineup for this film? Or what was your thought process behind picking these experts and these people to interview? I've been very lucky. My podcast has been going for 11 years. But now because of that, I can call those type of people to be in my movie. And they want to be in the movie because they're going to be seen. I mean, when you get a Frank Mitlerner in your movie, you know, or um, uh, LaCroix or any of those people, you know, it's it's because they've been on the show. And I'll just say to them when the mics go cold, hey, you want to be in a movie this weekend? And that's how we get them. Yeah, Frank is one of our favorites. He's been on the podcast as well. And he really comes up. I mean, he has such great information and in how he displays it. Um is so valuable to, you know, animal ag and really being able to have this conversation with people. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciated about your film is like right from the beginning, you came out swinging. Like if you only watch the first 10 minutes of Beyond Impossible, you instantly like combat a ton of misinformation that's out there around the vegan narrative. Uh, I just thought of it like you just came out swinging and like there was nothing but facts and dispelling a lot of myths and then going back and getting into the details. Okay, you know, when we did the first movie, Fat, a documentary, everyone was coming to me and saying, we want you to do a movie. Be and we want you to do what the vegans do, except, you know, lie about them. And I was like, well, wait, I'm not going to lie. There's no reason to lie about anything. You know, I watched uh, What the Health, uh, and I critiqued that movie also like five different times. If you think Game Changes is a bad movie. Go watch What the Hell. Right out, out of the gate, you're lying in that movie, saying that 
what's this vegan thing everyone's talking about? The whole thing is based on lies. You look like you want to say something that. No, it just reminded me. So actually July's film that we're debunking is Cowspiracy. And then we're featuring Sacred Cow with Diana Rogers as, you know, the, the pairing with that. And we actually talked about exactly what you're talking about, Vinny, that in Cowspiracy, it is such a twisted presentation of information. It's a twisted presentation of interviews. There's actually people who have come out from that video saying that what I was, you know, the way my words were presented on screen were not indicative of what I said in real life. And so Tara and I have had this big conversation about, you know, ag, essentially the industry going on to these vegan films and vice versa, right? Because one of the interesting things about your film is that you you know, we already highlighted the amazing list of interview or experts you had on. On the opposite of the spectrum, no one from the vegan community would come on your film. And you spend time talking about this. You go back and forth about the letters sent, the emails, the correspondence. And I'm just curious, I guess, why you think one, you know, got no one from the vegan community on yours. Do you think it's because they thought that we would twist what they're doing? Is it because they don't want to face up to the facts? I mean, I think it's a very interesting thing that we have two, you know, two different groups talking about the same thing. And yet they can't, um, can't even really communicate about it. Essentially. I, um, as you know, in the film, I picked like four different V I, I, I could have done 12. I could have done 15, but you, you know, I just wanted to get the point across. So I did some of the bigger ones. I did Walter Willett from Harvard. Right. Uh, he, he said he was busy that day. I, I didn't give him a date. I said, Hey, would you like to be in a movie? I'm busy that day. We asked uh, Michael Greger. He said that my audience wasn't big enough. And we said, well, how big does my audience have to be? We get over a, a million downloads on the podcast a month. Apparently, that's not big enough to get someone like Greger. You could get Midlearner or Lacroix, right? But you can't get Greger, who's not even a doctor. Um, and we, you know, McDougal actually started harassing and beating up on my one of my assistants that was sending the mail back and forth. That's why I, I said, look, I wanted to have an open forum here. I wanted to bring everybody to the table. I wasn't going to twist their words. I wanted to hear what they have to say. By the way, I've had an open policy from day one. I've done 2,300, almost 2,400 podcasts now. Open policy. Any vegan doctor, even, even Gregor, is welcome to come on to my podcast. I will have a debate with them openly. How many takers do you think I've had in 11 years in 2,300 plus podcasts? Zero. I've had zero. <laughs> so, you know, if you're so sure about what you're talking about, if you're willing to be in conspiracy or forked over knives or, you know, what the hell, if you're so sure about yourself, where are you? Why aren't you there? You know, you said at the very beginning of that, like, I'm giving the facts and nothing but the facts. And that was one of the my favorite things in this movie is that you are not fear mongering. There is no fear in this. It is just straight facts leaning into the facts. And you addressed so many things last week on Game Changers. Not once in the movie did they mention the issues with B12, with iron, with uh, bioavailability and protein that, you know, animal protein is superior to plant protein. 
nothing. There is just not mention of that. It's like they just gloss over the information that they have like cherry picked. Whereas I love like even you have the call, you know, the call outs like fact number one is this is a fact. And I just think that was such a great strategy. Although I do think it plays into why probably some of these vegan activists wouldn't want to be on your show is because it's very hard to argue. Like they can argue on an emotional side and connect to you emotionally, whether that's fear or, you know, saying that, you know, ethically about animals, but it's just very hard to argue back and forth, I feel like, over the science. So one of the things I think is really also interesting about your film that we have actually not talked about very much on our podcast, so I just want to spend a second on it, is you highlight this tie between, you know, vegan and vegetarian and pop culture. And I think it's really interesting with the ties between celebs we have promoting it. And if you look at the, you know, we've talked about Mayor Adams and what's going on in New York City. And I'm just wondering what your kind of share your thoughts, you know, again, as a producer of Beyond Impossible about this tie, this obsession with this diet. I'm actually okay when celebrities want to push a vegan diet. If they believe that, look, I'm an American. I believe every American's got the right to believe. Look, we got people that think the earth is flat. I'm not going to get on Twitter and start yelling at them going, you're crazy, right? I can think it. I don't have to tell them that, right? I'm sure there's enough people telling them that. But if they really believe that, man, God love you, right? If someone really believes the vegan diet is helping them and they want to say, and they're a celebrity and they're using their celebrity voice to do something that stupid, I'm fine with it. The problem I have, the aforementioned Eric Adams of New York, when you start pushing this stuff into policy, when politicians start turning this into policy and now your kids are affected, now I have a problem. When you start doing this kind of stuff, now you're, you're, you're messing with society. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. You know, Tara and I talk a lot about food choice. And even when we're talking about, you know, obviously we are pro meat in the diet, but we always stand for food choice at the end of the day. If people want to consume the diet that they want to feed in their own body and their family, like you said, by all means. But I would agree when it, you know, is entering to policy, we have a big problem on our hands, especially when, you know, I feel like that's ignoring nutrient conversations, calorie conversations, um, you know, accessibility conversations, a lot of different things. It, it's they have a very micro tunnel vision of what they're talking about. Um, something in a little bit different direction that I want to go, but it's kind of interesting that you highlight it and beyond impossible is that a lot of times vegans, when they choose to be vegan, they think they're supporting like local or small businesses. And as we kind of know, that's not really the case. Sometimes, you know, they're actually buying products, like whether it's the Beyond Burger or Impossible Burger, they are buying products from major companies, global companies. You are not buying your Beyond Impossible or your Beyond Burger from a local farmer down the road. That's not what's happening. Yeah, you know, I was at the big food convention just last spring and um, everything was reimagined. Chicken reimagined, <laughs> fish reimagined, ice cream reimagined. Nothing was dairy, nothing was fish, nothing was meat. It was all reimagined. It was all vegan food, right? So if we think this is going to end with Impossible Burgers and Beyond Burgers and others, it's not. As you know, they're 3D printing meat now and they're doing all kinds of stuff. 
most of the stuff, when I started seeing where it was coming from, most of the raw materials made in China. So they have to somehow use dinosaur juice to get it here, whether they fly it or put it on a boat or whatever. So now you're putting CO2 carbons into the air. First, you got to use CO2 carbons to create it there. Then you get more CO2 carbons to get it here. And then we have to manufacture it here and make the product with it. Again, more CO2 carbons. So it's a real problem, right? And when you look at the people in the WHO, and, and this makes me sound like I, I need a tinfoil hat, but all of these people are, are part of a bigger game, right? Uh, people that work for Unilever. And if you ever get Nina on the show, get her started about Unilever and what's going on there. You know, it's one of the biggest food companies in, in Europe and the world, right? And they, you know, they want to see more fake food coming around because it's almost 100% profit to make this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus meat. You know what it takes to get a steak to the table. You know what it takes to get a bottle of milk to the table. The profit is the margin is just not there the way it is on, on this cheap food and they can manufacture it. And when you can duplicate at that high level, you got yourself you got yourself a fight. Look, I mean, I don't think I have to tell you guys that, you know, Cargill and, and Tyson Foods and all of these, they started investing in fake meats. Right. And you would say, wait a minute, they're on our side. They're making real, you know, they, they make real meat. Right. Yeah. They don't care. They're a corporation and they have people to keep happy. That's all they care about. They don't care about the small farmer or the small dairy farmer. All they care about is can we keep our investors happy? Yeah. I don't know if I'd ever say if Cargill's on my side. <laughs> But I do think this brings up an interesting big picture that I want to talk about for a second, that all of this technology, because on last week's podcast, Tara asked me, you know, what I felt about this idea, this narrative that some people want to add tea to the USDA. So they want to add technology. They want to add technology to it. And I feel like we're at this point in society where we are getting so far from the basics of food and food sovereignty at its core. And, you know, we covered on the podcast a month or two ago, you know, Italy banned lab meat because of the idea of protecting their food sovereignty and their heritage. And I just, I can see the, the weight on the scale tipping us so far into this, like you said, alternative processed meat. And that's actually something you talk about on the podcast. You talk about how a vegan diet is some, can sometimes be entirely processed. It's not even healthy. Like we're really losing sight of what food is at its core and how healthy it can be. Yeah, I think you just said it. There's almost nothing to add to that. But yeah, I've never been so proud to be an Italian in my entire life, you know, when I saw Italy doing that. And I hope that more of Western Europe follows along, right? It's funny, you know, people always go, why aren't they as fat as we are? Well, they have a lot of processed foods, but they also, the French, the Italians, my wife is British. They all eat a, a better, cleaner diet. I mean, you can find milk fat there in, in yogurt, 15, 16, 18%. They actually don't just have cream. They have double cream. You can almost grease an axle with that stuff. You know, they it's just the food is so much better there. And look at it. The people are healthier in those countries, but we don't care. So my question kind of is, 
how are we getting it so wrong in the United States? Like you talked at the beginning, like how your grandmother, your great grandmother just like knew at their core how to eat healthy foods, how to eat whole foods. And it just seems like the more and more science we add to the conversation, the further we get. Like we have Tufts University coming out saying, you know, Lucky Charms are healthier than steak on the scale. Like how when we see the increase, which is something you talk about in the movie, like when we see the increase of all of these, you know, diseases that are related around like what we're putting into our body, the food we're consuming, we see them on the rise. And yet we continue to just make food policy, food choices that are so inherently wrong and the opposite of just whole foods. Well, listen to what you just said, you know, policy, right? We make policies. Uh, people forget the word politic means people who make policies. Now, people who make policies, you know, you take representatives, senators, the whole thing, they don't make more than, I don't know, 80, maybe $100,000 a year, but they all leave their positions very, very wealthy. So you got to ask yourself, how did someone only make $100,000 or thereabouts? And when they left Congress or they left the Senate, they had a house in the Hamptons. How did that happen? Well, special, special interest groups, lobbyists for these big companies, go tell these guys, hey, go vote for this. Go vote for us. Make policies that agree with us. So one other thing that I want to talk to and spend a little bit of time on, which is something you cover at the very end of the film, and it is something actually that's been coming up recently for Natalie and I on the podcast, and it's this idea that like veganism is almost like a cult, a religion, and the online harassment of vegans by people choosing to consume meat, people, as you mentioned, that have maybe transitioned back, don't even want to come out and say they're no longer vegan because of the backlash and the online, like, onslaught that will happen. And did you find, you know, a lot more stories like this? Or what was your experience when you were kind of researching for the movie? Yeah, those people, you know, um, we, we had Lear Keith in the movie. And she was a lifelong vegan, and literally, they they injured that woman. They they she was giving a talk one day at a university, and um, they they slammed pies in her face, but the pies were laced with cayenne pepper, and she had to go to the hospital. She had burns on her face, and not one person in that audience flinched a butt muscle to get up and help that woman. Not one. Um, I've never been a vegan. Um, but I'm targeted all the time online. I don't care about that. I mean, you say what you want about me. I, I don't really care. I'm an old guy. You know, they call me Grant Torino <laughs> online, so that's fine. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I've had death threats. You know, I, I have a concealed carry, you know, sadly. My wife has one, too. Um, you know, we have um, all kinds of security around the house because we live in that world where people want us dead. <laughs> just for speaking the truth. Um, and online, um, we know for a fact, you know, I had a Wikipedia that was put up and everything on my Wikipedia was fact, but they pulled it down. And I just wanted to know why. So we got in touch with the Wikipedia people. It was the vegans. You know, anyone can have anything pulled down for any reason. And anytime anybody would try to put up a, a new Wikipedia about me, they would pull it down and they also removed me from my wife. They took me away from being her husband on her page and put her ex-husband back as her husband. 
And she actually went to Wikipedia and said, no, he's my husband. And they literally said, there's no way you would be, we don't think it's you because there's no way you would be married to that man. Oh, man. Because I tell people to eat meat. This is for one reason. because So I can't really talk about anyone else. I can only talk about what happens to me. It is really crazy some of the links they'll go to. It reminds me of an interview we had on where she said that, you know, food and agriculture is the only industry, the only space where emotion and science are on the same playing field. And as we said earlier, it's just really hard to combat that emotional feeling some of these people have. And it honestly, I don't know if you've been following uh, what's going on with Aubrey Plaza in the news right now with her wood milk campaign, but the poor girl, she is getting continually harassed and um, threats of cancel culture and, you know, no longer following or supporting her. And it's simply because she drinks milk. That That's really what it's all over. And it blows my mind that we are one out of place in society. It's 2023. And, you know, it's not tolerated that someone can drink milk. And it's also tolerated on the opposite end of the spectrum that we can cyber bully, berate, and like you said, send death threats and cancel culture to people for drinking milk. I mean, it absolutely blows my mind. It's sad in ways that, that I can't even begin to say. I didn't I didn't know that that was happening. I knew about the campaign and the whole thing, but I didn't realize that she was going through all that. And I, I feel sorry for her. It's like, you know, anyone can get canceled for any reason. We got to stop this cancel culture. It just doesn't make sense on every level. You know, just because you're for something doesn't mean you get to go attack the other person you know, yeah. I don't go. I, I don't spend my time going after vegans at all. Well, maybe you could say I went after them in my movie, but I really didn't. Did, do you feel like I went after vegans in my movie? No, not at all. I don't think. Um, I think that's a really great point. Something that Natalie and I do talk about is that just because we are so pro meat, we do not spend our times like trolling pages for like vegan sites saying, you know, why they're wrong. And I know, you know, as a dairy farmer, dairy farmers get it pretty bad online. I think cattle ranchers can too. But um, I mean, I've had my fair share of death threats and pretty scary comments and DMs over the years. And it's just wild to know that people like a think that that's appropriate and and be continue to do it, you know, that it, it's not even something that like, people are worried about. Um, the few times I've called it out online, I feel like maybe the average person was pretty shocked that that's what like, you know, vegan activists were saying behind the DMs. And this is obviously not all vegans. Like I hate kind of lumping them all together because not everyone is this extreme. But for whatever reason, there seems to be a subset of vegan activists that are this extreme and are this aggressive online. Um, and it's just wild. It, it is sad. As I always say, I have no problem with veganism as long as you include meat. And that's kind of how we should be eating, right? Mm -hmm. Whole meat, real meat, whole dairy, real dairy, and whole. And look, when I was a kid, that's what was taught in school. You need dairy, you need meat, and you need vegetables. That was it. Period. Can you imagine? Yeah, what a what a world we'd live in if we'd listen to that. So I guess to kind of wrap up this conversation, looking to the future, what is next for you? Um, I kind of hinted at that you have another film coming. What's coming down the pipeline that we can watch out for and, you know, check out? I am working on another documentary. As a matter of fact, I'm meeting, you know, the, the script is all done for it. I'm meeting with my, um, the same crew. I use the same crew to shoot everything. 
Uh, we're going to be in Austin, Texas. I'm going to be there next week. A week from today, I'm going to be shooting that. Um, I'm not saying the title yet. I'll tell both of you off the air. <laughs> Once I know the mics are cold, I'll tell you what it is. But I'm actually going after another part of food where people would think I would never go after it um, because there's a big problem out there and it needs to be corrected. And um, I'm going to have the, the documentary out there to, to show. And by the way, I'll, I'll tease this. I told you, know, you mentioned Mike Rowe. Um, I told Mike and Chuck about this movie off the air and they're like, oh, my God, we can't wait for that. Um, it seems like I'm going against going at my own industry, the people I believe in, but I'm not really. When you hear what it is, you're going to go, oh, my God, that needs to be done. No one's done it yet. And I'm not trying to top my life. OK, who am I lying to? I'm always trying to top myself. But this needs to be said. It needs to be out there. And I'm going to get some people on the low carb side pissed off. But I don't care. The truth is the truth. And I'm going to put it out there. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I can't wait to hear more. We'll have to get the scoop off air. Um, and then I think the other thing I was going to ask is where can people find you? Where, what's, where's, what's your podcast name? Give some plugs for uh, where can people check you out online and um, in their earbuds. Yeah, I keep it very simple. My book is called Fitness Confidential, and the, the podcast is called the same thing, the Fitness Confidential Podcast. You can just put that into your Google machine. That's easier to remember than my name, Vinny Tortorich, <laughs> which is a little difficult. It doesn't really roll off your tongue. I should have changed it to Vinny Smith years ago. <laughs> but yeah, that's where you can find me, VinnyTortorich.com, or just go look up my, my podcast and you'll find me there. The movies are called Fatter Documentary. That was the first one. And then Fatter Documentary 2. That's proof that the first one was really big. And now the one that's kicking butt on all of them is Beyond Impossible, the ones that are, the one I think you guys saw. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Vinny. And for everyone who has not watched Beyond Impossible, we highly recommend to go checking it out, um, as well as everything else Vinny mentioned. So uh, thank you again to Vinny and everyone else. We will see you guys on Thursday. 